Well, today we are concluding the message series that we're currently in, The Importance of Church. And in this series, we've been talking about five biblical purposes for the church and for our lives. The five purposes are the purpose of worship, the purpose of fellowship, the purpose of discipleship, ministry, and outreach. Now, four of these five purposes we can continue to fulfill in heaven. In heaven, we're going to worship God for eternity. In heaven, we're going to have fellowship with other believers. In heaven, we're going to continue to learn more about God. We are finite. We'll continue to be finite in heaven. God is infinite. There's always going to be more that we can learn from Him. In heaven, we're going to serve God. Contrary to popular belief, you're not just going to float on a cloud and play a harp. Uh, You're actually going to serve God in heaven. Now, the only one of the five purposes that we can only do in our lifetime on this earth is the purpose of outreach. The purpose of outreach or evangelism means that we as believers are to be witnesses to those around us who are not yet believers. We are to lead others to becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Why can't the purpose of outreach be fulfilled in heaven? Because there are no unbelievers in heaven. And so we can't do that in heaven. We can only do that here on earth. Once a person dies, their eternal destiny is sealed. Uh, They're either going to go to heaven or to hell. And so although all these five purposes are essential and all these five purposes work together to fulfill God's ultimate purpose, I believe the most important purpose is the one that can only be done here on this earth. That should be our priority, the purpose of outreach. And that's what we're going to talk about today in the last message in this series. I've entitled it an outreach church. Now, since this purpose of outreach is so vital to the mission of God in our earth, Satan works overtime to keep believers from fulfilling this purpose in their lives. Satan works overtime to keep believers from reaching out to those around us who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And in the last days in which we live, The Bible teaches us that there are two kingdoms at war, the kingdom of God and the kingdom or dominion of darkness. Colossians 1.13, and I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the scriptures written out as well as the outline on the back are study questions that you can use in your own daily prayer time. They're also used in many of the life groups as well. Colossians 1.13 says, For he, speaking of God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And so everyone begins in the kingdom or dominion of darkness. They're headed for eternity in hell. And through the outreach of believers in church, in the church, people are rescued from darkness. They're set free from bondage. They're brought into the kingdom of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rescuing believers involves spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so we need supernatural weapons, spiritual weapons that will enable us to rescue people from the strongholds of Satan. Demolishing these strongholds, setting them free, bringing them into the kingdom of God. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so the church is destined to plunder the gates of hell. The church is destined to rescue people that are headed down the broad road of destruction. Ephesians 6.12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we always need to bear in mind that in the conflict that each believer is engaged in, we are not fighting against people. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. What we are battling against is the evil spiritual forces that hold people in bondage. Now, people might not realize it, but they need to be rescued. And so we are battling to change the story of people's lives. As believers, we are battling to change people's lives from living for Satan to living for God. And yes, I know that most unbelievers would not say they're living for Satan, but that's what God's Word says. You're either living for God or you're living for Satan. I'd like us to watch a short video called Change the Story. It talks about how we as believers can help change the story of people's lives who are living life without God. Together we can change the story of people's lives. How can we change the story of people's lives who are not believers? We change their story by showing them the love of the Spirit. We change people's stories by demonstrating to them the power of God through prayer. And we change their stories by telling them the truth about Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about how each of us can grow in doing our part to change the stories of people's lives, to make Life Church an outreach church, rescuing people from the dominion of darkness. In order to do that, we need to make God's outreach priority ours. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so in this verse, Jesus tells us what his priority in his mission on earth was. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus' priority on this earth was outreach. And so our priority in life should be the same as Jesus. It should be to seek and to save the lost. Jesus made that priority crystal clear in some of his last words on this earth. Jesus gave us the Great Commission, a series of commands for each and every believer. And what was the first essential command of the Great Commission? It was to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so each believer, the Great Commission is directed to each and every believer. Each believer is to make a priority in their lives to go and make disciples from those who are not yet disciples of Jesus Christ. Now let's look a little more closely at this principal command here. Go and make disciples. Jesus did not simply say make disciples. He said go and make disciples. To go and make disciples is to go out of your way. To go and make disciples is to make it a priority in your life. To go and make disciples is to follow Jesus' command. To make it a priority. Our top priority in life should not simply be to to pay the bills, it should not be to retire early, it should not be to enjoy life, or whatever else you might have as a priority in your life. 
Our top priority is to go and make disciples. And we, when we make that the top priority in our life, all the other things that we have to do fit into their proper place and are taken care of. Now, going and making disciples is not just getting people saved. It's, it's teaching them to obey all of God's word. Verse 20 says, and teaching them, these are the new disciples that we are to make, to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so getting somebody saved is just the beginning of our task. Next, they need to be water baptized, spirit baptized, taught to obey all of God's word. Now, why is that so important? Why not just get people saved so they can go to heaven? It's essential because we are preparing new disciples to make more disciples, to go and make more disciples, to keep the cycle going. If new believers are not properly taught, then they will not spiritually reproduce as they should. They will not make new disciples, and the chain of spiritual reproduction will be broken. And so today, if you want to make God's priority of outreach your priority in life, I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to accept our 2017 plus one challenge. Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so this verse speaks of people hearing the gospel, the gospel being shared with them, them accepting the message, meaning they were saved, they were baptized and added to the church. A 2017 plus one challenge for life, church, is for you to ask God to help you add one new person to our church family in this year, the year of 2017. If you haven't already, I encourage you to check a box on the back of your Connect card to accept the plus one challenge. And I believe that's between you and God that you're going to pray. You're really going to make it a priority in your life to reach out to those that you know who do not yet know Jesus Christ, or those that you know, as we'll talk about in a minute, who are not in a Bible-believing church. And so a commitment to make God's outreach priority our priority is important for each and every one of us. Now, what are we supposed to do after we check that little box and say and we make a commitment to the plus one challenge? Well, we're going to be talking more about that in the rest of the message, but to begin with, we need to begin to think about the people around us. People that you know who aren't saved. People who you know that you're not sure if they're saved or not. And there's probably a lot that fit into that category. You just don't know for sure. Or there may be some who appear to be saved, but they aren't going to a healthy Bible-believing church. And I'd encourage you to make a list of those people. Write down five people that you know that aren't saved. You're not sure they're saved. They're maybe not going to any church or they're going to a church that is not healthy. They might be family members. They might be relatives. They might be neighbors. They might be co-workers, friends. And don't assume that everybody you know is a Christian. That's, that's pretty convenient, isn't it? If everybody I know is a Christian, I don't have a job to do. And yet, we know in the United States, 70-80% of people say they, they are Christians, and yet the actual number is probably 1 in 10. It's much, much less than that. Last week, I was talking to a friend, and he doesn't go to church. 
And I asked him if he thought he was a Christian, and I pretty much knew the answer. He said, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, of course. And I didn't stop there, though. I asked him why he thought he was a Christian. And he was perplexed by that question. He really couldn't answer that question, and he didn't answer it. And a few days later, he came back, and he said, well, I, I Googled it. And... Uh, <laughs> you know, why he was a Christian. So, I, you know, I think I'm a Christian because I believe in God. That was his first response. And I said, well, you know, all kinds of other faiths believe in God. A lot of people believe in God. But that doesn't make you a Christian. He said, well, the second reason is because my parents said they were Christians. So I figured I'm, I'm not a Muslim. I, I must be a Christian. I said, well, that's that's not quite it. The fact of the matter is he didn't, have a foggiest idea of what it meant to be a Christian. He considered himself a Christian. He really didn't know what being a Christian was. And so, is he a Christian? I'd say not a chance. I mean, you can't be a Christian if you don't know what a Christian is. And there's tons of people like that that you know. They even think they're Christians. And maybe they go to church on Christmas and Easter, or maybe they even go to church every week. Now, this guy certainly didn't. But they don't know what it means to be a Christian. It's just kind of a cultural thing. And so our conversation is continuing, and uh, I handed him one of the books, How Good is Good Enough, because I think if I pursued it a little more, he would come to the next step of why he is a Christian, because he's, he's basically a good person. And it usually comes down to that when you keep explaining that. So he's promised to read the book, and we'll get back to him. But how many people in your life including your relatives, have you asked that question? Why do you think you're a Christian? Now, he wasn't really threatened by that question. It really made him think. And if somebody can't answer that question correctly, and I'm not saying you have to quote Bible verses to answer that question, but you have to have the basic concepts there. You have to understand what the Bible teaches, how someone becomes a Christian. If you can't answer that question correctly, then you're not. And so the next step for us, after we make God's outreach priority our priority, we need to care about the lost. Matthew 9.36 says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I believe one of the greatest impediments to us Reaching out to people who do not yet know Jesus Christ as we simply don't care about the lost enough. Jesus here said he had compassion on lost people. His heart went out to them because they were milling around like sheep that didn't know where to go. And they were being harassed by predators and all kinds of bad things were happening to, to them. And so if we love people as Jesus did, if we care about them, if we care about their eternal destiny, then we're going to be motivated to reach out to them. If you don't really feel like you care about the lost, if you don't think it's your responsibility to reach them, then begin to pray and ask God to change your heart. Ask God to give you His compassion and His care for those who are far from Him. If you're a believer here today, 
then somebody, somewhere, at some time, cared enough about you to share the gospel with you in one way or another. Either personally talking to you, handing you a tract, putting something on television that you saw, whatever. Somebody cared enough to do something to allow you to hear the gospel. And if you're a believer here today, then we have a responsibility to continue what was shared with us to share with others as well. When you care about the lost, you're going to pray for them to be reached. Jesus said in verse 37 and 38 to his disciples, continuing the passage, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, in these verses, the harvest is a metaphor for lost people. Lost people, Jesus is saying, are ready to be saved. Now, we tend to think lost people, they don't want to be saved. They, they don't want to go to church. They're just happy the way they are. How can I change their minds? It's just impossible Lost people have hearts that are hardened to God, and that's the problem. Well, Jesus is saying that the lost people aren't the problem. He's saying the harvest is plentiful. What is the impediment to bringing in the harvest, which is to get people saved? The impediment here is that the workers are few. That's what's keeping the harvest from coming in. The workers are believers who care enough about the lost to work in the harvest. Now, it's work. It's work. It's not easy. They care enough about lost people to work in the harvest. Now, this is not just referring to pastors, missionaries, and evangelists. It's referring to each and every believer is to be a worker in the harvest. And so pray for the lost that you know to be reached by a worker, and that worker is you. Because you're the one who knows them. And so God has placed you in their life to be the worker that brings them to Jesus Christ. And this is not simply a one-time prayer. It's a prayer that we should be praying each and every day. God, send me into the harvest field. God, help me to be a worker with those that you've placed in my circle of influence. Give me opportunities to reach them. Give me the words to say. Help their hearts to be softened that they might receive your truth. And as we pray, we need to seek the Spirit's power to be a witness. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We can't reach the lost on our own. We need God's help. And in this well-known verse, Jesus was telling a group of 120 disciples that they needed the power of the Spirit in order to be effective witnesses. In Acts 2, the disciples were spirit-baptized, and they immediately began to reap a harvest of people being saved through their witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, if you're caring for the lost, if you're praying for them, if you're seeking the Spirit's power to be a witness, what's next? Well, you begin to deepen your relationship with the people you are praying for. If you don't know people, you're not going to be able to be a witness to them. You begin to notice their needs. Kind of like we saw in that video. You begin to notice their struggles. The things that they are going through. And you offer to pray for those things. You let the people know. I know you're in difficulty in this area. 
May I pray for you in this area? You look for ways to show kindness to them. You look for ways to meet their needs in tangible ways. And that begins to open the door to engage in conversation with them, to find more out about them, to find in greater detail what they are struggling with, what are their problems in life. Do they pray? Do they go to church? Do they consider themselves to be Christians? Are they agnostics? Are they atheists? What are they? You begin to find out. And then you begin to reach out in faith. Acts 8 verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now this verse speaks of many believers who had to leave Jerusalem because of severe persecution. It says that these believers preached the word wherever they went. Now, unfortunately, because of the word preach, probably most of you go, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a preacher. I don't preach. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to preach. But really, that's, uh, <clears throat> I don't like that translation, actually. It's a misleading translation. The Greek word for preached in this verse is uangelizo. What does that sound like? It sounds like evangelize. It's where our word evangelize comes from. And it simply means to bring or announce good news. It means to evangelize. It means to pass on the good news, which is the gospel. And each and every believer can do that. It's not somebody standing in front of a crowd of people preaching necessarily. Now, it can be that. But it can be you talking to a friend. You sending a, an email to a friend. You sending a text to a friend. You're getting together for coffee with a friend. That is evangelizo, sharing the word wherever you go. Specifically, how can we do that? Well, one really easy way is to simply invite people to church. That's not all it is, but that can be an easy way to do it. Luke 14, 23. This is a verse from a parable Jesus taught. It says, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Underline that word compel. Compel them to come in. In this parable of Jesus, the master represents Jesus and his servants are believers. And Jesus as the master is instructing believers to compel people basically to come into his kingdom, come to a banquet we don't have time to get into it all, but that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So basically, he's compelling people to become believers, to become part of his church. And so some of us, just hear me on this, need to stop being, we don't want to be obnoxious, but stop being so nice, so worried we might offend somebody. We're so worried we might offend somebody that people are going to hell because we're not talking to them, because we are afraid we might offend them. Well, what's worse, offending somebody or them going to hell? You might offend somebody if you tell them about Jesus. You might offend somebody. But then again, maybe they'll listen. Maybe they will accept the message. And so one great way is simply to invite people to come to church. Not like, hey, you know, if you're not doing anything else, you might want to check this out. Is that compelling people to come in? Maybe it's like, hey, you really need to come to church. God is doing great things there. God wants to change your life. You need to be there. That's a little more towards compelling them to come to church. 
And so we need a greater boldness in inviting people to hear about Jesus in church. We have many activities we can invite people to. Of course, you can invite people to the Sunday morning service. Uh, that's probably one of the major ways. You can invite people to the growth class on Sunday morning. You can invite people to life groups. You can invite people to, uh, we're going to have summer VBS uh, in June this summer. You can invite people to the living free groups, which are starting. You'll hear more about those as they uh, come in a few a few weeks. You can invite people to women's ministry. We have invite cards over there on the table. It's easy just to pass them out. Inviting people to come to church. Why? So they can hear more about Jesus. So they can hear more about the truth of God's word. But reaching out is not just inviting people to church. It's also boldly talking about Jesus. The early church prayed a prayer in Acts 4.29. It said, Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so when the early church faced persecution, they say, we're going to go into hiding now. We're not going to let anybody know we're around. That's not what they did. They prayed this prayer. They prayed to speak God's word with great boldness. They prayed to see supernatural signs as they prayed for people that God would supernaturally answer their prayers and meet needs, demonstrating that he was alive, that he existed. And so today we want to focus, might want to underline that phrase, great boldness, to speak your word with great boldness. Why pray for boldness? What's the opposite of boldness? Cowardice, fear. In fact, in the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, of people who are going to be outside the heavenly city are the cowards. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions, and so Christians are to be bold. And if we're not as bold as God wants us to do, what did the early church pray? They prayed for great boldness, that God would increase our boldness. Why don't more believers witness and talk about Jesus? Because they're not bold. They're afraid. Now the fact is, in America today, do we have a lot to be afraid of? No. Now if you're in Saudi Arabia or some of these other countries, I saw somebody who was preaching about Jesus got 300 lashes in Saudi Arabia. Well, that's something to be afraid of, but they're still preaching the gospel over there. Do we have anything to be afraid They're not even going to put us in jail. Maybe somebody will cuss at us. You know, that's about it uh, if we share the gospel. There's really nothing to be afraid of here other than our feelings being hurt or maybe losing a friend or somebody not talking to us. We need boldness then to talk about Jesus. If we care about the people that we're talking to, if we care more about their eternal destiny than our feelings, we need to talk to them about Jesus. Like I said, a very easy way is ask people if they think they're Christians. 80% are going to say, ah, oh, yeah, sure. And then ask them why. That's a very easy way to get into a a spiritual conversation with somebody. Now, I talked about inviting people to church. In fact, this person I was talking about, I've invited repeatedly to church. And it became obvious he just wasn't going to come. 
anytime soon. So we began, that isn't the end of the story. You begin talking to them, engaging in a spiritual conversation, talking boldly to people about Jesus. And we're not in this alone. It's not just you and the other person. We're in it together as a church family. Not only do we have God on our side, we have the rest of the church team to encourage one another. And as we get more engaged in outreach, as we get more engaged in evangelism, we can share stories of what God is doing in our own lives. And we can encourage one another. We can learn from one another. But we all have to get in the game. And so I encourage everybody here to become a a member of the Life Church team. Romans 12, 5 says, In Christ we, though many, form one body. Talked about that last Sunday. And each member belongs to all the others. And so being a Christian is not just about you and Jesus alone. You're meant to be part of the body of Christ. You're meant to be part of the local church. And each member of the church belongs to all the others. And so an important step in spiritual growth is to make a commitment to a church family, to make a commitment to a local church, becoming part of the team there, or we might even say the army there, because we're in spiritual warfare together. And so last Sunday we announced the dates for our new church membership class called Introduction to Our Church Family. The class is open to all youth and all adults to attend. It consists of a single one-hour session. The class is going to explain to you what Life Church is all about and how you can become a member. In the class, we're going to have notes for you that you can use as reference. Uh, you see the notes are going to be more expansive than what we can cover in an hour, so there's some additional things that you can read as well. And it's going to help you along with some booklets that we have for you to grow in your spiritual journey. Now this is a a newly written curriculum that I've written, and it has new material in it. If you were went through a previous membership class, we haven't run one for several years, but if you went to a previous one, we strongly encourage you to come to this one so that you, you uh, are able to receive the new information and you don't miss out on some of the new things. There's a lot of new things in this class that were not in previous membership classes. We have two options. We already mentioned them in the announcements for you to attend the class coming up next Sunday at 8.30 during the, the uh, growth class period. We're going to be teaching the membership class. That's the first option. The second option is the following Sunday, March 26th, in which it's going to take place immediately after the Sunday service at 11.15 in the lower level. And there's going to be child care will be available at both classes. And so we encourage you to sign up on your Connect card for the class that best works for you. And we really encourage you to check the box so we have enough materials because we'll be handing out materials so we know what to prepare for each and every class. Becoming a member, making a commitment not only to God as a believer but to a church family is an essential part of your spiritual growth and all of God's purposes for your life. So today we wrapped up our message series about God's purposes for your life. We talked about the purpose of outreach for us as a church all together and for each of us individually. God wants us to grow as bold witnesses for Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives. Jesus' priority was 
when he came to this earth was to seek and to save the lost. And that should be our priority as well. And God wants us to have a compassion, to have uh, a concern, a care for the lost people around us. That we really care more about them than I'm meddling, you know, play, on being on Facebook. Although you can use Facebook to reach out to people. God wants it to make it a priority in everything we do. If we're on Facebook, to use it as an avenue to reach people for Him. If we're working out in the gym, God wants us to use that as an avenue to reach people there. If we're doing something else that God has in our lives, to use it to reach out to others. And this caring about lost people should lead to prayer. Because it's only through prayer that God will give us the opportunities, that God will give us the power to touch people's lives, to change their story, to become bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. And God wants us to work together as a team. And part of that is making a commitment not only to God, but to this local church family to become a member. And we've given you opportunity to do that. And together, as we reach out more and more, as we grow in this purpose of outreach, God is going to touch lives and bring his blessing into our lives as well. Now the question I've been encouraging you to ask people is, why are you a Christian? Well, we need to know, each of us needs to know what a Christian is. It's quite simple. To become a Christian, you need to admit that you've sinned. Sin is very real. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to admit that we've sinned. We need to repent and turn away from that sin. Secondly, we need to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, took our sins upon himself, paid the price that we might be forgiven. We didn't need to ask him to forgive us. We believe he died on the cross and he rose three days later and he's alive today. And since he's alive today, we commit our lives, see, to following him as our Lord and Savior. And that is really what it means to be a Christian. That's how you become a Christian. That's what a Christian is. Now, you don't have to say it A, B, C. You don't have to get every word right. You don't have to have the Bible verses memorized, but you have to have those concepts. I understood those concepts at the age of four when my mother told me about Jesus. It's, it's not difficult. A child can understand that. There's no excuse for not understanding it. It's not just, I believe in God. The devil believes in God. The devil believes God exists. Not believing in God, it has to do with sin, Jesus dealing with our sin issue, and us committing our lives to Him as our Lord and Savior. So I'm going to give us an opportunity. Let's bow our heads right now. And if you are not sure you're a Christian this morning, maybe you came here this morning and you thought you were a Christian, but now you realize you really weren't. You thought you were a Christian because perhaps you thought you were a pretty good person, you knew people who were worse than you, who sinned more than you. And now you've seen what the Bible teaches. So I'm going to pray a prayer based on what we just talked about. And if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus Christ for the first time or recommit your life, perhaps you feel like you've wandered away from him, I'd encourage you to pray along with me in your mind. God knows your hearts. Pray something like this. Father, today... I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And I repent. I turn away from those things. I turn away from those sins. And I 
I ask for you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life on this earth, that he died on the cross and he took my sins upon himself. He paid the price for my sins that I might be forgiven. I ask for his forgiveness and I invite him into my life. I commit my life to serving Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today we thank you that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost because I was once lost. And I thank you for saving me. I thank you that that was his priority and his mission. And I pray, God, that you would help me to make seeking and saving the lost a priority in my life. I, I ask for a forgiveness that it has not been. That I've had all kinds of other priorities, all kinds of other things that I've wasted the valuable time that you've given me on rather than seeking and saving the lost. I ask your help in fulfilling the plus one challenge that we have here at Life Church to asking for your help to add one new person to this church family, that they might be saved and added to this family, that they might understand your truth in this coming year of 2017. Give me a heart that cares and has compassion about those who do not know you, those who are far from you, those who are outside of the protection of your church. May I pray for them, God. May I invite them to church. May I boldly talk to them about Jesus as you give me opportunities. Help me to be a bold witness for you, God. And I pray that as I witness for you, you would open their hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit to receive the truth and that the story of their life would be changed through the power of God. Thank you, God, for the things that you are doing through our church and for the even greater things that you're going to do in the future, God. Thank you that we can be a part of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.